And in this particular passage, that's the emphasis that's being brought out are, is those who are noble in character. Now, why are they, these ones considered more noble? Now, it explains it in this way. The first thing is we see their readiness to receive the word of God. What does it say in verse 11? Now, these Jews were no noble, more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. That sense of eagerness, some translations say willingness, readiness, and zeal. Take note of the noble, and may indeed God make us noble. The one characteristic of the noble is that there is a readiness, even a zeal, to hear the word of God. It's not just going through the motions. Uh, I'm aware of certain events that took place. Uh, I remember hearing of circumstances um, while I was uh, um, in seminary where on certain Sunday, uh, a particular church gathered together, and as it came time for the preaching, the pastor said, you know, I had prepared a sermon, but you know what? I'm not going to preach it today. We're just not going to have preaching today. We're just going to pray, and we're going to sing another song, and we're going to pray, and we're going to sing another. We're just, just going put to put the word of God aside for today. Now, he didn't say put the word of God aside. I'm paraphrasing what he's actually saying. But look, prayer is important. Singing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, the overflow of being filled with the Spirit is important. But one of the central priorities of the church was its commitment to the apostles' doctrine. As we saw, Paul said to Timothy, until I come, pay careful attention to the public reading of Scripture, exhortation, and teaching. These are essential, non-negotiables that a church ought to have. But note this, beyond a church having that commitment, this speaks of the individuals who were there that they had in themselves uh, an eagerness. I've come to hear. I've come to listen. I've come to learn. I mean, that, that, that longing for it, that kind of that sense that I, I would dread to somehow uh, miss a week or two or three because I long to come and hear God's word opened up. And as we saw previously, the idea is that of uh, God's word being set before them and opened to them by way of explanation. So we see that one of the characteristics uh, what, that was a noble characteristic was a readiness, even an eagerness and zeal to hear God's word. The second thing we see is that, that it's also regular. There is, there is a repeated and regular commitment. Now note this, they, Paul and Silas come in. They come into the synagogue where every week they would have a reading of scripture and an explanation of that by one of their appointed teachers. Paul and Silas come into that environment and by the grace of God, as apostles of Christ, 
declaring the kingdom of God in Christ and the new covenant in his blood, they are proclaiming the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, the fulfillment of what they, the Jews for so long had been anticipating and waiting for, and yet we know in Jerusalem did not recognize. Not only did not recognize, rebelled against and rejected, took him with wicked hands and handed him over to be crucified and die. And we know in doing so, fulfill exactly what God had purposed. But listen, as they came and as they begin to proclaim to them, Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the Christ and presenting to them things that they had not previously taken note of. Remember, when we're looking earlier in this chapter, when they went to Thessalonica, one of the things they were doing is they were proving to them from the scriptures that the Messiah, the Christ, must suffer and die. Now, that's not something that was a common part of the Jewish belief system. Uh, some of you are aware, but I'll reiterate it. Their anticipation is that when the Messiah comes, when the king of the Jews comes, we're done being trampled by others. We are no longer in subjection. They are going to be in subjection to us. We will be the head. They will be the tail. We will rule the nations. The Messiah will, and we will reign with him. And so when, when Jesus comes... And when the and dies and then rises again and indeed establishes a kingdom, but a kingdom that's not of this world, a kingdom not in the ordinary earthly expectation, they're not ready for that. And so even as they came to Thessalonica, and you think about this, the, the Messiah suffered and died. What was the response of, of those Jews in that place? They were absolutely livid upset, jealous, and violent. And, and so we, we've got to understand this. The message they came with is one that is different from anything that they'd heard before. Wait, this isn't, the, this isn't how I've always heard it. This isn't how I've always been taught. This sounds a wee bit different. Does that happen? It indeed can. Now, the reason why is because they had, as, as a general pattern, their selected favorite portions and passages. But they did not have a thorough and comprehensive knowledge of all that the Old Testament said about the Messiah. Now, listen closely. Do you think that we don't also live in an age that we have our own favorite and selected passages, our favorite and selected themes, it does, it happens, and we're all in danger of falling into that, which is why I continue to urge and pray, and may it be that God would move more and more preachers to preach through books of the Bible, because when you preach your way through books of the Bible, the preacher doesn't get to choose the theme for the day he doesn't get to choose the topic for the day or the lesson he himself is subject 
to the scriptures. And in the study of it is saying, what is the theme of this passage? What is the instruction? What am I to know? What am I to learn? What am I to call God's people to believe? What am I to call God's people to turn from? What am I to call God's people to do? What is it saying? And so the servant of God becomes a slave to the word of God in a, in a, in a blessed way. And then we get, to put it in, in common terminology, we get a balanced diet you know realistically it, it, you know if mama was serving cake for dinner every day to some kids that sounds great right or caking and we'll mix it up sometimes with cookies and pie right uh, that, that sounds but how healthy will the children be you know, and it's a, it's a rare occasion where, where the kids come and say, no dessert, more vegetables, more veg. This has got to be exceedingly uncommon. But, but the, the, the reality is the scripture has all of these things. It has these promises that are, that are like that cake, that, that, that are uplifting, that, are, that leave us with, with a sense of excitement. But then there are passages that come and they're designed to prune, prune us. They're designed to cut us, to convict us. And people generally don't like that. And, and there's, you know, there's correction, there's training, there's instruction and in righteousness. There's the whole array of things that we all need. Now into that, these people are ready to hear and grow in truth. Paul comes in and he preaches to them something they've never heard before. The tendency is this doesn't sound right. A lot of people quickly go from this doesn't sound right to it's not right. Well, what if it is right and you wrong? The Bereans had a desire to know the truth of God. And, and so here it was declared to them, as was the practice, it was told to them and would be told on consecutive Sabbaths. Remember, three Sabbaths, they were in Thessalonica on those three, what we call Saturdays, they came in and spoke of Christ. Here, they come in and speak of Christ. But on hearing these things, this doesn't sound right. So what do we need to do? Not reject it, not rebel against it. We need to research this. We need to look into this. And not only look into it, remember, it says, uh, in this passage, it says this. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. The synagogue did not meet daily. That was not the general pattern of the Jews. There wasn't a daily meeting, but here they had heard this word, and they were so stirred, it's like, we've got to know if this is right, if this is true. And I want, to, I want you to note this. The answer does not always come like that. Oftentimes, if your answer comes really quickly it's probably wrong 
Because how much time did you really spend searching the scriptures to see whether it is so? Now, I want you to know, I'm jumping ahead, but look at the bottom of that, of that verse. They examined the scriptures to see if these things were so. Is it? Is it not? Means they're, they're holding it. It might be true. It might not be true. Many times, our temptation is not to search the scriptures to see if it is so. It's to search for a verse that will prove it wrong. We want a canceling proof text. I don't necessarily want to search the scriptures to see all that it really has to say about this subject. I already know my position. I like my position. And I just want a couple verses that, that can let me say my position and sound like I'm still biblical. That's not healthy. The reason they were more noble when they heard something different. Now, you, we, we don't want to be... Tossed around like children, thrown by every wind of doctrine. And there are things already that because of the clarity of God's word, we know with certainty. So when somebody comes in and presents a different idea than things that we have through the word established to be true, we don't waver. Someone tries to say, um, God is not triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They try to say he's not that. We immediately reject that. If they try to say that Jesus was not both fully God and fully man, we reject that because we've learned otherwise through the scripture. Okay, so that it's not that we never come to a knowledge of the truth, but we want to make sure that when we hear something that's a bit off, we examine it, and it says they examined it daily. There was a regularity, there was an earnestness, there was a desire daily that they would get from where they are to where they ought to be. In terms of knowledge, in terms of truth, in terms of understanding, they desired to make a process. And also, I note this, not only was it daily or regular, but it was rigorous. It says they were examining the scriptures. The word for examining the scriptures is that idea that carries this. They studied it thoroughly. They evaluated carefully. It's something that takes a level of intensity. Now again, with regard to this noble character, I ask you this. Now this is not meant to condemn you, but it may be to convict and correct you. Do you have that readiness that every day when you, you're, things that you've heard, things that you've thought, you want to make use of the scriptures and study the word in order to see what it says, in order to see what it teaches? Or do you just shelve it until the next time? It's not even uncommon that the word of God gets little use. We have, and, and there's nothing wrong with, um, people produce forms of devotionals. And, and often it seems to me the design of that is you've got, you, you know, you've got, you got a book not much bigger than this handkerchief. And the whole devotional for the day is on one side of one single page. And you can finish that devotional in near 30 seconds. 
And you can say, I have been a spiritual man today because I have done my devotions and ticked it off. But it's not about just a duty devotions. It's about a delighting in God's word. For those who are, who are doing the McShane reading, we've been reading through uh, uh, Psalm 119 this week. And how often does it say, he delighted in the Lord? He loves them more than honey. He loves them more than all riches. He delights in the precepts, delights in the word of truth over and over again. And, it, and then he'll say, oh, how I love. You begin to, and sometimes you, we, we say to ourselves, what's wrong with this guy? But the quite right question would be, what's wrong with this guy? Why am I not loving it potentially in the way that he is? I mean, David is that one declared, and I think to a degree for that reason, to be a man after God's own heart. Certainly it wasn't because of his own personal moral perfections, because that failed. But he had an absolute love for God and for God's word. The, the, the idea of this as well, this word for examining, uh, carries also this sense. It, it would be that uh, the idea of interrogating. All right, so um, you can go around, around and say, "Okay, this this accusation has come. This has been said. What do you have to say about that?" We have those kind of things that take place in a court of law, and rightly or wrongly, we will call an individual who's supposed to be an expert witness. Is that right? And you call them up there and say. Tell us about this issue or this matter. And then the expert witness is to tell you about that. Now listen closely. Where, and, and, and your, the hope is, what the expert says is reliable. Correct? Well, I ask you, with regard to truth, where is the expert witness. It's the word of God. See, the temptation is to point to this man or that man and, and list maybe his accolades or his degrees or his accomplishments. But the sad reality is from one spectrum to the end, from one doctrine to the end, from one religion to the end, you got guys with multiple PhDs spewing out a bunch of nonsense. So it's not the word of men that you can ultimately rest in. It's the word of God that you rest in. And indeed, if there are going to be men who are men of God, let it be that they stop sharing their opinions and simply open up the word of God. And as we, as we look at this, that's what they did. They, is this so? What does the scripture have to say? What does the scripture have to say? What does the scripture have to say? And it may be as we interact with the individual who has said something different than us. Why did you say that? That's not how I understand the scriptures. All right, show me the verses that are leading you to understand it differently. And I will happily show you the scriptures that have led me to this conclusion. And if that's not the conversation, then whatever the, re the conversation is, is just useless. Because it's my opinion versus yours, my experience versus yours, you know, uh, my position or whatever versus yours, useless. It's let us both 
see what God's word has to say. Let us see all that it has to say and where it leads us, where it leaves us. Uh, the same word is there in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 and through 12, where it says concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the spirit of christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of christ and subsequent glories so this idea searched and made careful inquiry that's why they were more noble the others were simply what this is different than our view the bereans were this is different we haven't heard this before let's search the scriptures now, part of the, uh, listen, part of the context of that is Paul's manner wasn't to come in and just start blabbing, these are my thoughts, these are my feelings. Remember, already back from 1 Thessalonians, I mean, when he came to the church at Thessalonica earlier in this chapter, he was proving to them from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ and that he was to suffer. So they were taking the scriptures that he would have unpacked for them and going back and looking at them carefully, going and looking at secondary verses connected to that, trying to look at it in its context. So it was comparing the teachings of a man from the word with the fullness of the word can't really do that if the man doesn't teach from the scriptures to begin with noting this also what were they examining now i want I, I note this some would i'm not going to simply say what they didn't do is run down to Lifeway, and, and go to the specific section where they could get the book on the sufferings of the Messiah. Uh, no, and, because that's irrelevant. They had no bookstores of those kinds. But listen, did they have a multitude of other writings? I want to note this. By the time we're here in Acts 17, we have already had the lengthy intertestamental period. Uh, uh, the age of the Maccabees. We've already come through all of that, and now we're, we're in the Roman era. Uh, they've come through all of these things. The, for those who are the Jews, they have not only the scriptures uh, and, and their, uh, you know, their, the Tanakh, which is the, their Old Testament canon, but they also had the Talmud, and the Talmud itself is, uh, has the, the Mishnah, the Gemara, uh, you know, and the Midrashis. All of these different Jewish writings. Uh, let, me, let me simplify that if it sounded like I was speaking a different language for a moment. And it's because I was, because those aren't ultimately English words. Uh, those, those are often historic writings by the rabbis. Some of them are even exegesis from the rabbis. S meaning commentaries. So I'm going to add, commentaries are useful, but I'm wanting you to be careful because here's sometimes our greatest temptation. What this guy said sounded different than what I'm used to. So what I'm going to do in order to see if he's right I'm going to go grab this commentary and see what this commentary says. And if the commentary, now listen to this. Most of us 
amass for ourselves commentaries that say exactly what we believe. And so you go and get your preferred commentary. What's he going to say? You can get a commentary that says nearly anything. You know, it's one of the things I've, I've warned many of the, the men that were training for pastor's ministry in India is, look, you, you don't just keep searching commentaries until you finally find the guy that said what you wanted. And then, you, and then quote him. You know, when, when 99 out of 100 people you looked up said differently, slow down, brother. Just slow down. And more than that, they did not search the writings of godly men about the scriptures. They searched the scriptures to see whether these things are true. All right? Commentaries have a place, and we can consult them. And hopefully as we do it, they, they may refer us to other cross-references that we might not otherwise have been aware of. They might open up to us certain elements of the culture or certain elements of the language that we might not otherwise have known that help us understand the Scriptures. But I don't want us to miss that it is, it is from the Scriptures. So that when you differ with someone, you tell them, show me from the Scriptures. And if you're gonna if you're gonna come to someone and tell them, brother, you're missing it on this point, I don't think you're understanding this, then you've got to be prepared to demonstrate such from the word of God. Because it can't be this is my opinion versus your opinion. There's no end to opinions. It has to be, listen, this is what the scriptures do clearly say. I mean, it is the singular resource. That's why I read in the opening, the sum of your word is truth. In 2 Corinthians, God's word says this. Uh, since we have this, uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we speak. This is, this is how, this is, this is the simple process. It is written, is what I believe, and what I speak. I mean, could it get any easier? What I speak ought to be what? What I believe. And what I believe ought to be what is written. It's as simple as that. Even as I say, as simple as that. There's more than a handful of verses in that Bible you got there in front of you. you know, so there is a, a, a lot of blessed research and study that can go into this. Um, but uh, just, to, just to get a clear sense of this, um, I, I want you to also note this uh, before I move on to the, to the next thought. It says this, they searched the scriptures daily to see whether or not, or to see if these things were so. So listen, what this is revealing to us is that a thorough study of God's word ought to be able to lead us to a solid conclusion. I mean, so it's, 
it's actually not open-mindedness. We live in this world where people like to say, well, you know, who, who knows everything? Well, God knows everything, and, and no man knows everything. But if you continue to say that, uh, well, who knows? People in the church have been fighting uh, over these things for centuries. Yeah! You know what they've also been fighting at over for centuries? The Trinity. The deity and humanity of Christ. These are things that have been fought. So just because people fight over them, well, everybody's entitled to their opinion. No, they're not. Everyone has to learn by grace to set aside their opinion and replace it with the truth. Search the scripture to see if these things are so. It's not, the, the word of God is not designed so that, that people are constantly scratching their, their chins and saying, well, nobody can know for sure. Well, nobody can know. No, no, no. It's designed so that you know for sure. One of the things that Paul often says is this, brothers, I do not want you to be unaware. I do not want you to be unaware. Brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Don't be uninformed. His expectation is what? They should be aware. They should be informed. They should, be, they should mature. They should have stability. It's not. You know what? Uh, there, is a, there is potential even within the Christian circles for people to say, you know what? The height of humility is to say, I'm not sure. The height of humility is to say, I could be wrong. So should I humbly say, I could be wrong about the resurrection? Should I humbly say, I could be wrong that Jesus is coming again? That's not humility. That, that's just, it's just wrong. You know, but but we, we do live in this era in which people start to present this idea, hey, it, it, you got to be humble, which means humble is acknowledging you might be wrong. Yeah, I acknowledge that I, I can be wrong. But you know what else I acknowledge? Word of God is not wrong. And the word of God is clear that Jesus died and rose again on the third day. The word of God is clear that Jesus, who ascended, will come in the same manner in which they saw him leave. The word of God is clear that there is salvation in no other name than in the name of Jesus. So we can't present other religions. There can possibly be salvation in them. There cannot. And I've seen even men who are supposed to be defenders of the faith when in certain university contexts and certain other contexts ask that question. So are you saying that... Even, even the most devout Muslim and most committed Hindu and most uh, earnest uh, Jew who doesn't believe in Jesus, that they're going to suffer for eternity in hell? Is that what you're saying? And I've seen men, well, well, what are you, what are you welling about? That is what is written. That is what I believe. That is is what I speak. Well, that sounds oversimplified. It's not oversimplified because it takes a lot of work and a lot of wrestling with the scripture 
to get to these conclusions. So simple this. Uh, the noble character is a readiness and zeal to receive. It is a regular engagement in the word of God. It, it is a rigorous engagement in the word of God. The resource is the word of God. It's the scriptures, not just men's writing about it. I urge you to spend more time in God's word than more time in men's word about God's word. I'm not saying to throw those things out, but let the word of God be your priority. And not only the, is, is that the resource, but it's so that we can know what is right the uh, false teachers and people who are not in christ it says this of them in second timothy chapter 3 verse 7 and 8 that they are always learning but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth that's for those false teachers so now let's turn it around to those of us who are in christ and committed to his word we are always learning and able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. We're able to come to solid and firm and faithful convictions. Because God's word is not designed to deceive. It actually says this in 1 Timothy 3.15. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So what is the expectation? The church, God's people, are to continue to promote, support, and uphold the truth. Which means what? The truth can be known. It's designed to be known. Listen, we're to know the truth, believe the truth, walk in the truth, Let's not make truth something strangely obscure. It's designed that we will know. Now, can I know everything I might want to know? See, I can only know for with certainty the things that God has revealed clearly. There are a number of issues pertaining to things revealed that I want more detail personally. But God has not been pleased to give me those more details. And so I'm not going to fill in the seeming blanks myself. Those, those details that are not made clear in the word of God, I have to just sit back and say, look, someday I'll understand those things. But to, since he did not reveal that as element in detail, then that detail is not important and essential to a godly life in Christ Jesus. And I don't have to get caught up spending years and years pursuing that detail when there's a bunch of other stuff I don't yet know well. And so we dig into God's word with that commitment. And so they come to Berea, and as, they, as, he, as he does this, you, you see a couple things. And for this, I'm going I'm to help us out help you with a, a sense of a Berean spirit. And so let's examine a few things within this passage that, that help us come to certain conclusions that are sometimes hard to find. One, if you would go back with me, as I didn't have time last week and I wanted to address it, it's in Acts chapter 17, verse 4. 
In Acts 17, verse 4, it says this, after he's uh, spoken the word of God and he's opened it up for them and proved from the scriptures, it says this, and some of them, Acts 17, 4, some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. Okay, so here's the simple reality. A bunch of people heard it. Some were persuaded and some not persuaded. And I ask you this question, why were some persuaded and some not? Well, it's not because uh, Paul was more effective with these and less effective with those. They all heard the same thing. So what's going on there? Well, is it because those ones were persuaded because they're humbler, they're wiser, well, it, it, it's not because of anything that's often in us. But more than that, this passage that says some were persuaded and joined. Strangely, the King James says there, some believed and consorted with. Now, the word there is, it's not, it's not the word for belief at all. And I'm going to present something to you that's going to be, that you're going to have to use probably some online tools and resources to research it. But sometimes things don't go easy from Greek to English because we have different tenses and different vocabulary and things just don't come across. I'm going to present to you right now from chapter three, two very serious or double Aorist passives, okay? If something's passive, it me if it's active, it means I do it. If it's passive, it means it's done to me by another. Active, I do it. Passive, another does it to me, okay? Now, in this passage, there are two passives, and they are both there, and, and they're this. Um, it says, the first one is, were persuaded. The second one, in a sense, is, were joined. So, they didn't, the, the King James, believe and consorted with. Seems to make them active in it. Were persuaded carries that they were convinced. Something worked, something was at work to convince them of the truth of what was being said and not convince the others. Now listen, I want you to note this. Is it that they were persuaded by Paul? I would urge not because Paul was proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So they were persuaded from those things. Listen, this idea that some were persuaded, persuaded, some were convinced, remember this. In John 12, God's word says this. In John 12, verse 37. Though he, that's Jesus, had done many signs before them, they still did not believe. Okay? So wait a second. Jesus claimed certain things, then he did miraculous signs, and the people, 
still didn't, weren't persuaded, still weren't convinced. Yet here, Paul speaks from the word of God, and some were convinced. Why, why were some convinced by seemingly mere words, and others weren't convinced even by a mighty sign? Well, it says this in John 12, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? You ever ask that question? You preach the gospel, you share it with a neighbor, you share it with your co- co-worker, and one by one, you share it with your, your relatives, they just reject it. You just feel it. Lord, who has believed your word as we declare it to them? Who has believed your truth? Who has believed your gospel? Who's believing it? Well, then the next part of the passage there in John 12 says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And it says, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Because there comes the hint in that second phrase. Who has, we say it, they don't believe it. Until and unless what? To whom has the Lord's arm been revealed. Now, I know that's a strange idea. That's not that the person who's sitting there that you're sharing the gospel with suddenly sees a giant arm dangling in the sky. That's not what it is. This is, this is in language that's not, and uh, culture, that's not our language in culture. It is to whom God has worked with his mighty power. To whom has God made known his power, revealed his power and work within them. But listen, in this passage it says in in verse 39, even though they had done those miracles, even though they had heard from Jesus. So brothers and sisters, don't get discouraged when they reject your efforts at the gospel. They heard from Jesus, and I'm convinced I cannot do it better than he did. I lovingly submit, I'm convinced you cannot do it better than he did. It says, verse 39, therefore they could not believe. Why? Because their eyes were blinded, their hearts were hardened. They were unresponsive. What, what has to, they were persuaded. At one point they did not, now they were convicted. At one point they had not joined now they joined. How did they get from unresponsive to responsive? From dead to alive. From blind to seeing. From deaf to hearing. From lame to leaping. How did they get from one place to the other? By the power of God. How did Jesus cause the blind to see? Did he tell them, I've done all I can do. You just need to look a little harder. No! He gave them sight. The operative power of God's grace saving men. And the idea of join themselves to, this is what's shocking, uh, or consorted with. This, this word also is in the passive. Were joined to. And actually the word joined is not even in there. The, the word there uh, uh, for joined is actually the word for lot. Like we, we think of, of casting the die. All right, for allotting the inheritance or allotting the shares. Uh, let us see who God has chosen to take the place of Judas who has fallen. And they cast the lot. 
and it is decided. The, the, the picture that's almost being presented there in that is here are all of these people who are gathered there and the lot is cast. This one will be joined to Paul and Silas. This one will not be joined. This one will be joined. We say, well, what is that? Well, don't get confused. Proverbs 16.33 reveals to us that's not a random thing. That's the outworking of God's own personal power because the lot is cast in the lap, but it's every answer is from the Lord. That's why a proper paraphrase of that passage would be this. Look, they preach the word of God and, and some were convinced and were by, God, were by God convinced and allotted to be with Paul and Silas. It's the power of grace at work here in the searching of the scripture. Um, and, 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 and these things are, are so powerfully clear as you unfold some of these passages. Remember, Acts 13, 48 said similar things. It says, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of God. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. All right, so what do you say? The King James says they believed. Are you saying that they were joined to Paul and Silas without believing? No, they did believe, but that's not what the passage says. It says they were convinced or they were persuaded. And because of that grace of God that inclined their heart and gave them understanding, where before they were in darkness and now they see with light, they believe. And they are allotted to, they joined. How do we know that in our experience, they believe and they join? But the powerful mechanism of grace that brings that about is God's grace takes them from being resistant, rebellious, even as it says in John's 8, 8, why do you not believe me? It is because you cannot hear my words. God gives them ears to hear. And it reminds us of how often did Jesus say that throughout his ministry? He who has ears, let him hear. You read the letters to the churches in Revelation, almost each one of those ends. Let him who have ears listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. So we've run out of uh, time today, but just a simple reminder. What are those characteristics that uh, when we say take note of the noble, it is a readiness and eagerness to hear the word of God. It is a regular and rigorous commitment to that one and singular resource which is God's word in an effort to discover what is right because God's designed his truth that it would be known and followed and we know it by searching his word not merely listening to men let's pray Lord thank you for um sustaining and, and helping my voice to persevere through this. And I pray that in spite of my own limitations as well as our own practical distractions, I just pray that you are pleased to take some of the things we've heard today and just stir up in us a greater hunger, a greater commitment to your word, to know your word, to your truth, 
to walk in your truth, to know it, to declare it to others, to use it for correction and instruction and training. God, let us not be those who simply follow the ways of men. Let us be those who say, it is written, I believe, and so I speak, and so I do, and so I trust. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.